You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. This is Mark Barnes, and you're listening to Profiles in CRM. Welcome to Profiles in CRM, episode 54. I'm your host, Chris Webster. Profiles in CRM ask CRM professionals nine simple questions. The answers vary wildly depending on their experience and education. Because of the nature of contract archaeology and how small this field really is, some people choose not to reveal their name or the company they work for. Stay to the end of the show to hear how you can have a chance to answer these same questions. All right, we're here on Profiles, and here is the first question. What is your name, and who do you work for? Well, my name is Mark Randolph. Barnes, B-A-R-N-E-S. Um, I kind of work for myself. I do a little bit of contracting on the side. Uh, I'm retired after nearly four decades with the federal government uh, agency, uh, in particularly the National Park Service. Okay. And we'll get into that in a moment uh, with some of the other questions. But uh, for now, what's the highest degree you've earned? Uh, I got my AA Associate Arts at Sacramento City College. Mm-hmm. I got my BA MA at the University of Arizona in Tucson. And in 1983, I got my PhD at the Catholic University of America in the District of Columbia, where Richard Nixon's daughter, I think, was married. <laughs> and um, they referred to me as the token Southern Baptist at that Jesuit school. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I've got a friend doing a uh, getting his PhD in Tucson right now. Actually, when you said that, so oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, sounds like a good place to do that. Um, so, okay. So, how long? Well, you already kind of answered this, but how long did you work in in cultural resource management? Um, I was actually working in cultural resource management without realizing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes back to 1967 when I was working on the Tucson Urban Renewal. Uh, excavations. And uh, it took about two years for us to ask our uh, uh, person who was in charge, Jim Ayers, who just passed away a few years ago, uh, why are we digging up 42 city blocks in downtown Tucson? <laughs> and he was he, he thought we were asking about his research design. And we said, no, no, what is the reason you're paying us to do this? And it wasn't until later that I realized it was a 106 project. It was Hmm. uh, HUD's urban renewal, and they were tearing up hundreds of adobe historic structures to make this giant uh, downtown visitor center complex. And we excavated 42 city blocks, uh, measured all the buildings, and that goes back to 1967. And that was the beginning of it. Um, then I had another two years where I took off. I call it my sabbatical, uh, <laughs> where I had to wear a green uniform. And mm. I was in the United States Army Judge Advocate General Corps, where I learned about law, which set me up very well for when I became came out of the service. And in 1974... Uh, I was the first full-time archaeologist at the National Register of Historic Places. Wow. Okay. And and from there, uh, I worked in grants and aid. Uh, I worked in um, contracting for surveys uh, where federal agencies would give money to the Park Service for surveys for cultural resources, um, evaluation, surveys, location, identification, evaluation, and data recovery. And then my last uh, 10 years, I was working 
uh, on technical assistance to states for developing uh, state plans and also produced about 100 national historic landmark studies. And uh, many of which, about half a dozen of which have become, since become national parks. Wow, that's awesome. And I want to talk to you about that uh, NRHP thing uh, later. <laughs> but <Sure. laughs> uh, yeah, for now, uh, let's proceed on with the questions. So the next one, uh, and again, you've kind of answered this, but what, where have you worked? What states have you worked in? And then um, you can include uh, other countries and or territories if, if they apply. Well, um, my first big work, and this was five years, not five summers, five full years digging in downtown Tucson. Uh, and that goes from 1967 to 72. We referred to ourselves as Tucson Urban Renewal Diggers. So okay. I'll leave the anachronism to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. But anyway, um, that was my first big project, and uh, that's what I wrote my dissertation on was the ceramics from the Presidio at uh, Tucson. And when I got to the register, uh, I worked with every single state and every single one of the six territories because I was reviewing national register nominations and determinations of eligibility. Uh, when I got to grants and aid, I again worked with all the states and territories. And then when I got to, um, uh, I volunteered to go out to um, New Mexico, uh, I was working pretty much in the southwestern United States uh, on grants and also technical assistance and contracting. And then I worked with, um, then I transferred over to Atlanta. And again, I worked in contracting for federal agencies. And from there, I also started doing landmarks in the, uh, southeast, uh, although on occasion I did stuff outside the southeast. I did the National Historic Landmark nomination for a site you're probably familiar with called Borax Lake. Mm-hmm. I have heard of it. And uh, yeah, if if you know Mike Morado, you've you've heard of that one. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, I've actually worked in every state in terms of technical assistance, national register nominations, grants and aid. Uh, state planning, you name it. Nice. So there you are. It's, it's hard for me to say I worked in this state and did this excavation because yeah. I've done it all. Yeah. Well, when you've been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, well, on to the next question then. In all that time, um, I'll kind of modify this a little bit. What's the position sure. that you usually have in uh, well in your work right now? It sounds like you're you're somewhat self-employed, but um, I guess when you sure. were when you were still working for someone else, what was the position you had? And we usually refer to you know project manager, principal investigator type terms, but you know whatever makes sense. Well, of course, in the government, they give you these innocuous titles, right? And so I was like archaeologist. Mm-hmm. I w- and when I worked at the National Register, when I worked at Grant, I was archaeologist. And finally, when I got to Atlanta and I got white hair, they got called me senior archaeologist. Nice. <laughs> okay. And so, so basically, the, the Park Service will give you these innocuous titles and then say, oh, um, we want you to go down to the Virgin Islands of Puerto Rico about, you know, a third of the year. Is that all right? <laughs> Uh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Not going to turn uh, that down. So, yeah. So basically, uh, that's, that's what it is. That's your title. 
um, you might be, for instance, like I did a project, a multi-million dollar project for doing a management and research design for archaeological resources on all the DARCOM facilities for the U.S. Army where they make, store, and test ammunition, everything from 22 calibers to 15-inch naval shells. Nice. My title is archaeologist. <laughs> of course. Okay. Yeah. So, so it, it's not like, you know, principal investigator, you know, you, you're that, but you're archaeologist. Yeah. Yeah, they don't it, get into it, fire. It's kind of, you know, we, we speak a different language. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've ever read um, any government-issued uh, reports, you'll know we write in the uh, third-person government. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it's, it's kind of a, a weird way to write. And I've, I've been trying now that uh, I'm retired to get out of that and write more humanistically. Yeah. So that's, that's basically, I was either an archaeologist or later in my career, a senior archaeologist. But one thing that people might be able to understand is like where what was your GS range? Was that in like the low ah. teens kind of thing? No, uh, I got in originally when I first started doing part time work at the uh, Southwest Regional Office, uh, where they had the um, Western Archaeological Center. Mm -hmm. uh, it used to be up in Coolidge. They moved it down to Tucson so they could you know kind of pull in students from the University of Arizona. I was like a GS five, and um, at toward the end, I was at GS twelve. Okay, okay. That that will probably make sense to a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think that would. But it, when you're at GS twelve and you've worked that many years, you're actually making GS thirteen, GS fourteen money. Right, right. Because there's the two, there's the two things with government pay scales. There's the time that you've been there, and then your your, your GS level. Yeah. Your colas. Exactly. Yeah. So and, okay, and that's what. I, I, I don't think a lot of people understand is they go, oh, he's a GS nine, but he'll make sixty, seventy thousand. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was in the uh, I was in the Navy actually, and I I experienced yeah. that. You get uh, you get E fives, uh, especially E fives in the Navy, and E sixes that were in <laughs> for you know fifteen years as an E five, but the E five is making way more money than say the person that went that shot up real fast to E six because they've only been in for ten years total, but this guy's been in for fifteen years. So that's right. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Time time means a yeah, lot. Yeah, we we had to defend a lot of people who are E fives and below at courts martials. I know how that nice. works. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, they go up and then they screw up and they go down and then they come back up and they screw up and they go down. It was military justice is the justice of military music is the music. What can I tell you? Right, right. They might be able to take your rank away, but they can't take how long you've been in. So. Yeah, and yeah. or the fact that your heart is still beating, and they name you need you for the next, uh, <laughs> you know, invasion. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, <laughs> moving on to the uh, slightly more fun questions. Um, what yes. is the best thing that's happened to you that's related to being an archaeologist? And this can be personal or professional. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a big question for someone that's been in a long time. Yeah, uh, on a personal level, over forty years, I have met some of the greatest people in the world. Mm-hmm. I've met some of the greatest people in the world, and I've just had this wonderful opportunity to do what I think is amazing stuff. Hmm. And it's meeting a guy named Gonzalez, who is the architectural historian on the State Preservation Office in Illinois, and convincing him it's easier to do an acquisition grant 
did a building restoration grant, and so we buy two square miles of Cahokia. Hmm. Nice. You know that that sort of thing. Yeah. And and to be able to do a grant or a contract and then make a really nice discovery mm-hmm. or to make a presentation for a bronze plaque for a property and then saying, yeah, we really ought to make this a national park or a state park, or this will lead us to doing this. Um, you know, it's, it's just, I've been uh, trying to pull through all my stuff that I've accumulated for 40 years and it's amazing the stuff you, the park <laughs> service says, well, you didn't get in jail and you didn't screw up so badly. So now we're going to have you do this. Mm-hmm. And it's just, some people don't really look at it, but I just thought it's a great opportunity to have fun and to meet some <laughs> great people and to learn about stuff I never knew existed. Yeah. Did you know that they found a Viking coin in a prehistoric site in Maine? Uh, at the Goddard site? I don't know. I've, I'm familiar. Well, I'm somewhat familiar with the Goddard site. That sounds familiar, but I don't know that I, don't know yeah. that I knew about the Viking coin. Yeah, they even sent me a picture of it because I said, oh, gee, I wish I had a picture of it. Okay, we'll send you a picture. Yeah. And then one side, it's a cross, and the other side, it's a horse's head. Nice. And you could see that someone had drilled it for like a necklace, and then it had broken off. Mm-hmm. And then it got lost. And that means it was traded all the way down. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's just finding these, having an opportunity to do this stuff, and just to listen to archaeologists and historians and architectural historians all over the country who are fascinated by what they're doing and to just be a part of their enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. That's probably the greatest thing I've, I've ever had an experience of doing it, dealing with. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty fantastic. What is the biggest thing that you would change? Well, I'm going to read the question. So what is the biggest thing that sure. would change that would make being a CRM archaeologist better? And you can qualify this as like, like maybe a government archaeologist specifically. Sure. Sure. Um, in terms of what I would change is um, I've been a big supporter of the National Register. I've been a big supporter of the Landmarks. I've been a big supporter of the World Heritage. In fact, I, I mentioned in the World Heritage nomination for Poverty Point mm-hmm. as the person who helped you know, provide a lot of the information for the nomination. I would like people to understand that it's not about research. The Register, the Landmarks, it's not about research. It's about developing a nomination to help preserve this property mm. so that research can be conducted in the future. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, you have to dig the site to find out everything. Well, you know, not really. Mm-hmm. And the other thing would be we're not interested in trying to tell you what type of research you use for your nomination. Your research is just as valid as the next guy's. We just haven't proved it yet. Right. And if we let the site be destroyed, how are we ever going to figure out who's right? So when we would do these nominations, I would uh, say, look, in the past, this was a very important nomination for developing the cultural chronology of lower whatever. And um, 
now we've got some more information from the site, and it potentially, based on the state's plan, could answer these questions that were developed in 19, 2008. But we don't want you to waste your time developing a research design for the future that may not actually be valid and would just take too much time and money to do. Mm -hmm. So it's not really about research, about planning. So for instance, one thing I would like to see done is you have probably, nom you probably have excavated a number of sites on 106 projects, mm -hmm. but there's still a site there. Right. And I would like to see the rules change so that you would get money to nominate that site so it doesn't get forgotten. You'd be surprised. I'm dealing with a guy on a landmark shipwreck, and he just found out, he was the one who helped me develop the landmark. He just found out core approved two permits for STC cables to run right over the site. Hmm. The shipwreck. You know, even though the bronze plaque is right there on the shore. Jeez. So I think, you know, this is one example of, boy, somebody really messed up. Well, think about all the sites out there that you partially dug. There's still research potential with these things in the future. Uh, there's still some material that's intact there. And you had to walk away. Well, and how hard is it but to it, move cables off a shipwreck? I mean, it's way more difficult exactly. to move uh, to move like a big trench for a pipeline because you can't just put exactly. a corner in it. <laughs> but exactly. it seems like yeah, yeah. That, that seems logical. Yeah. So, so I would I would like to see people realize if it's there, it probably should be nominated. But again, that's part of where I'm coming from is planning to make sure the people in CRM will actually have something to investigate in the future. All right, so this is uh, somewhat of a silly question, but for an archaeologist, not necessarily. Um, what is your career goal in CRM? Now, I know you've already worked, uh, like you said, four decades in this. So I guess yeah. what's what's next for you? You know, where where would you what do you like to do? Well, I'm actually doing it. Yeah. Um, for example, um, you know, you get like I said this opportunity to meet all these people with this great enthusiasm for these sites, and you but you don't get an opportunity to get as deeply involved. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what I'm doing now is the research. So for instance, I just got uh, an email from Stacy Hathorn, the uh, state archeologist from Alabama. And it's a picture of Chiricahua Apaches in Fort uh, Mount Vernon, Alabama after they had surrendered to uh, General Nelson Miles. They transferred them to Alabama. Eventually, they went to St. Augustine, and then as prisoners of war, they were housed at Fort Sill until the first couple decades of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. The Chiricahua have never seen this picture hmm. of them at, Fort, at Mount Vernon. And so I said, I know a woman who is in my high school class, who married a Chiricahua. And I sent it to her, and she says, the tribal chief wants to call you about this picture. Nice. A pretty amazing. You know, and so these are the kinds of things. People, I've developed this relationship with, um, they say, we would like you to work on this study. We'd like you to work on this. 
mm-hmm. could you help us with this? You know, and so it might be uh, New Deal architecture at El Yunque National Forest in Puerto Rico. It might be helping them do a nomination for Paso de Indio site, which is a stratified 12 meter deep archaeological site. The biggest site in the Caribbean ever found. Wow, 12 meters. Yeah, deep. And they would come in the art, start in the archaic, and they'd have a little settlement. And they would get this incredible storm, and the whole thing would get buried. And then they come back, that incredible storm, get buried, get buried, get buried, get buried. And they found that through a highway project. And they could have just done data recovery and walked away. But we said, we think we want to develop this a program for this in the future, so it's now on the National Register hmm. at the national level of significance. So it's it, these are the kinds of things that I really enjoy is to actually have the opportunity to get more in-depth with these things and to mm-hmm. write them up. And, um, you know, like uh, I did one on a paleo site in North Carolina called the Hardaway site, which was the type site for late paleo, early and middle archaic. And it was owned by the Alcoa Aluminum Company. They were happy to have it made a landmark. And when they had to do a re-reg on a dam nearby for FERC, they said, you know, I got an idea. Let's just give this land to the state mm-hmm. as part of their state park land holding. And they did it because we made it a landmark. Nice. So you never know what what sins will be visited upon your head <laughs> for having done something like that in in the future. Right. Okay? Right. So anyway, I guess that's that's kind of what I'm saying is that this great opportunity to go back, look at the stuff I've done for four years and say, you know, that would make a great article. And I'm doing it. It's nice to be able to to look back and 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 to do stuff like that. Cause often, as you know, whether you're working for a private firm or for yourself or for the government, you often just don't have time. There's another project right around the corner, sitting on your desk, ready to go. So, and this is a good reason why people should uh, hang on to a lot of information that they collect over the years and things. So you can go back to these projects and, and give it a better treatment. If that's, if that works out. That's right. Just one more question for you. So, if you could give an undergrad thinking about a career in CRM one piece of advice, what would that be? Well, actually, um, it looks like this summer I will be teaching uh, undergraduate and graduate students in CRM for uh, the. I've been doing that for almost thirty years, mm-hmm. so I get lots of advice. Um, <laughs> but the one that I think is most important um, falls within a couple of very minor points. Number one, you have to understand that you're doing this. You're you're doing all this survey. You're doing all this, and whether it's survey for buildings, sites, traditional cultural products, whatever it is, you're doing this because there is legislation backing you up to require you to do this. Mm-hmm. And you need to understand how this legislation was created and what you're expected to do. 
because that's how you're going to get a job. Right. You know, you go to these other classes and they'll teach you how to do a survey. They'll teach you how to do an excavation. They'll tell you the point types. But you need to figure out when Teddy Roosevelt signed the 1906 Antiquity Act, what was the intent of that? How did that get going? How has it been modified up to the point? What are the interests of modifying it in the future? Mm -hmm. And how this can then translate into what you do with your job. And knowing this is going to be so much better. Uh, the other thing I want to let them realize is archaeology is pretty interesting from the standpoint of a single individual can still accomplish a lot. Um, as I said, I was the first archaeologist the National Register. In the two years I was there, I reviewed 2,600 National Register <laughs> nominations. Wow. Did 400 pieces of correspondent, almost 400 determinations of eligibility. Hmm. Today, nationwide, maybe 30 sites a year being nominated. So that means it would take the same individual 80 years to do what I did in two. Jeez. So, you know, you have the potential to do a great amount of work, to do very important things, or not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> or not. And, you know, you could, you could decide to do this or not do it. And uh, so I said, you can be a Frank Pinkley who created all the national monuments for prehistoric archaeological sites and historic sites in the Southwest. In spite of the director of the Park Service telling him, don't do this. We're only interested in the large grassy exercise areas like Grand Canyon. He says, no, they're the same thing. One person did that. And so that's why they buried Pinkley at Casa Grande, which was his first place he was superintendent. Mm -hmm. You think it was hard to get the women from World War II who were pilots to be buried at Arlington? It's really tough to get someone buried in a national park. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine. But they made it for, for Pinkley, who everybody in the Park Service returned to him as the paw, the boss. Hmm. Not the guy back in New Jersey who does the Born in the USA, but the boss, Frank <laughs> Pinkley. So that's the kind of thing is understand how this came about and understand that you as an individual can make a really major impact. Show notes for this and all episodes can be found on the Archaeology Podcast Network website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash profiles. At that page, you'll also find a form that you can fill out so you can be interviewed on the show. Interviews take less than 30 minutes and you don't need any special equipment. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the field. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.